0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Image Bearers, our podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing the intersection of healthcare, disability, and Christianity, and how our views on disability in the church have evolved over time, and how we plan to implement those views in our future practice as occupational therapists. My name is Kayla Nicholson. And my name is Maddie Garcia. Um, My co-host and I are both occupational therapy doctorate students at Duke University, and we are both passionate about disability theology and making sure that all people, regardless of their abilities, have access to the occupations that are involved with their spirituality. Before we get started, I just want to recognize that an important part of talking about disabilities is including people with disabilities in the conversation. I, we both completely understand that. Um, But we do want to make known that we are two temporarily able-bodied women and we are just really passionate about disability theology and seeing how we can implement this in our future practice.
1: Yeah, and so before we jump in, I just want to take a moment to share um, an interesting stats on disabilities. Um, And according to the World Bank, 15% of the world population experiences some form of a disability, and many of uh, these individuals are actually living in developing nations, so they don't have access to as many resources or support as individuals do in countries such as the U.S.,
0: And given that disability is so broad and so many people have disabilities, it's amazing to me that when I was growing up, disability was never really talked about. Mm -hmm. The only time that it was really visible was when uh, people were in wheelchairs or in crutches or something at church. Um, And that kind of reminds me of a reading that I did for Nancy Eastland, um, where she discussed how the Eucharist is all... Is often like provided at an altar where you have to walk up to it, and it's only it's only brought to the people with disabilities, um, and accommodating them instead of including them. In the process to begin with. Mm. I don't, does that make sense? <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, I didn't take something that is a corporate experience of the body of Christ and makes it really isolating for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened in my church growing up. And it was really like emblematic of my experience with disability in the church. Um, in terms of like developmental and intellectual disabilities, that was never discussed. People were expected to sit in church and absorb the word. And it was Provided in one way that everyone was supposed to understand. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I didn't really get have a lot of experience with that at all in a church context growing up, but mm-hmm. I was an ABA therapist right out of high school and my mom also did ABA. So I had a lot of experience with people on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. um, not in a religious context, but more in a healthcare setting. Um, yeah. And I just, it's so the idea that people with autism and intellectual disabilities are not whole is so prevalent in those fields that mm. it's, yeah, it's just really disheartening. And the separation between that and the church, um, it's, yeah, something that I grew up with.
1: Did you also ever think about disability, uh, when you went to high school? Cause I know your, um, high school no, was Lutheran. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't know that it was really, like, I didn't really discuss it at school at all either. Huh, that's an interesting, yeah, we would do local missions trips, um, mm-hmm. where we would just do outreach to people, um, and that I did a little bit with disability, with people with disabilities, and it was more like just sitting and talking with them, which I think is mostly what <laughs> I do now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah,
1: you're right. I didn't really think about it. It wasn't a big part of my high school experience either. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing. <laughs> uh, to kind of add to that, I-, I would say that disability wasn't really something that I thought gave much thought to growing up. Uh, it definitely wasn't discussed in the church or my church um, growing up. My family didn't really talk about it. I did have some like distant relatives or um, family friends who had children with um, disabilities but we didn't spend a whole lot of time like in their homes and kind of makes me wonder like was that because that was you know just like a challenge for them Mm -hmm. to like even take the time to do the spend time in like going to other people's homes Um, and why didn't we invite them that was another Mm -hmm. thing like is it because it's an inconvenience for, um, us to accommodate them. I don't know, just things like that. It was like, we definitely knew of people in our community or family that had, um, some sort of disability, but you know, why was our interaction so limited? That was just something that kind of came to my mind. But, uh, I would also say that when I came to like become a follower of Jesus, I didn't really think about how am I incorporating or engaging, um, you know everyone in the church in my spiritual formation and so that was just kind of um, a realization that I came to more recently but mm. definitely something I need to take note of
0: yeah I think my views on disability in the church didn't really change until I was an undergraduate Um, And I had the opportunity to be an inclusion intern at my church Mm -hmm. um, for the inclusion coordinator. And she was a fantastic woman who taught me a lot about what it looks like to include people with disabilities in the church and not just minister to people with disabilities, but minister with them Mm -hmm. Um, and helped me learn how to address barriers to engaging in religion for people with disabilities and how like, both the stigma that you were talking about, like, of being someone with disabilities in the church and, Mm -hmm. like, sensory barriers and things Mm -hmm. like that, so we talked about addressing all of those different aspects, um, and for any kid that needed it, it didn't, you didn't need a diagnosis to, like, get any of the accommodations that you needed, yeah, so that was something that was, that changed my views on disability, um, and helped me actually start thinking about the importance of inclusion and not just accommodating people in the church, but making sure they felt belonged. That's not a word. felt <laughs> the sense of belonging in the yeah. church.
1: Yeah. So based on your experience, what would you identify as some of the barrier barriers that impact participation for people with disabilities in the church? I worked a lot with the kids, so
0: for us it was a lot of... Um, Sensory barriers Um, in like the third-grade classroom. I'd be in there a lot and Mm -hmm. a lot of the kids were very overstimulated by the environment Um, and we had Sunday school teachers that would We worked with them, but it it was really hard to transition away from having a lot of bright lights and loud music when the kids walked in because they wanted to make them excited Um, but we sometimes that was too much for some of the kids. And then that was not, they weren't able to focus when they were reading. Um, And some kids just hated going because it was, the environment was just too much. Um, Yeah. So a lot of the things that we would put in place, we would ask them to turn lights off and like calm introduction into the lesson um, in the classrooms that needed that. And vice versa in the other classrooms that needed something different. Um, and then we also have like putty and stuff for the kids to play with while they were reading.
1: Did you guys also have like a buddy system to kind of help? Oh yeah, we definitely
0: did have buddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I I was always, I was a buddy for a long time. Um, but if a kid needed something, they would just tell me, cause I had a pretty good relationship with them. So they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we just need to take a walk. Um,
1: that's great so it sounds like the having the support and then like the tools to help yeah we definitely um,
0: have the support from our church leadership that's great yeah
1: Yeah, I would say if you don't have the support of church leadership that would be a huge barrier Mm -hmm. for people with disabilities um to participate in you know worship and just be a part of the church I think a lot of it has the growth based on my experience um the growth we've seen with the disability ministry has been a result of the church leadership. Mm -hmm. And while things aren't perfect and there's definitely more uh, area for just learning and I guess getting um, the opinions and including the voices of families who have um, children with disabilities, but, or just people with disabilities. Uh, But I would say if you don't have that church leadership supporting uh, the ministry, just continue to I guess advocate right and, um, be patient in that and you know pray <laughs> God God wants these people in the church so if we can just hold on to you know that the end goal which is to vision a church envision a church with people of all abilities I think absolutely that can be a huge um, focus and just there's potential, don't. don't right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Barriers I, think, will rise. I
0: think that church leadership and having resources are definitely great facilitators to overcoming those
1: barriers. Yeah. In church. yeah. That's really important. Did uh, your experiences as working with the inclusion coordinator and your job, um, did topics like healing ever come up in discussion, or did you ever like think about what healing me, like mentee or what is healing in like a faith context?
0: Um, I feel like I never really thought about it in a faith context until more recently, mm-hmm. but the goal of a lot of ABA is to like treat and fix the problem. That, mm. Yeah. I say that with quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So I think now with a more like holistic view of healing and like not just the behavior, not just addressing behaviors, but like we talked a lot about behavior as communication in the, as an inclusion coordinator. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say.
1: Yeah. Okay. Do you also think you mentioned um, disability and ministry? Do you think it'd be helpful to provide a distinction between like disability ministry and disability theology? Because um, I I think that's something we can maybe use interchangeably, and I think mm-hmm. I recently actually heard. Uh, a description on through the Johnny and friends uh, <laughs> podcast program, uh, they had a speaker on and she gave her um, brief description, but essentially disability ministry being, um, making the gospel accessible to people of all abilities and mm-hmm. both yeah. word and deed. And I like that. It's not just leaving it and, you know, sharing the good news, but taking that action step similar to Jesus. He, you know, was compassionate and, um, and served and addressed both physical and spiritual needs and so I just think of you know making I like the keyword uh, from an OT you know making things accessible creating yeah. opportunities and um I just that was something that kind of that is a good mind. distinction yeah. thank you for bringing yeah. <laughs> <that up. laughs> it's just something to take note of um but also similar to you I would say it was probably a mix of experiences wasn't just one thing that sort of changed my perspective um in undergrad, I had the opportunity with um, a church group to travel to Malawi. Uh, we were meeting women we sponsored through a small organization called Why Malawi, and they're working with women in rural communities um, trying to alleviate you know, poverty and child marriage because that's a common um, issue in that country. Uh, and so when I went on the trip, I was prepared to meet the girl who I sponsor. Um, she's now adult (laughs) Um, but her name is Hawa and on that trip I learned she had a pretty severe disability. She has uh, cerebral palsy and pretty much lived her day-to-day life and excluded from her community um, in a mud hut and was pretty dependent on her grandmother who was her primary caretaker uh, which was really hard to see um, coming from obviously the U.S. and just having you know Anything and everything, abundant resources, not never really dealing with being excluded, um, and so that was hard to take in. But um, she definitely, I, I'd say, planted a seed in thinking about you know disability in a different cultural context, mm. and um, so that was really important. And I'd say she's also the reason I'm in occupational therapy. Um, she's oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, very grateful for her and just how much she's taught me. But uh, another experience I had was uh, my internship with Johnny and Friends. Uh, they're a disability ministry that's looking um, or serves people um, in providing addressing you know spiritual needs and uh, taking care of you know financial and material. Mm-hmm. needs um, through wheelchairs and different outreach events but um, as a corporate intern I was able to take their um, beyond suffering curriculum which basically walks through um, different understandings of <laughs> suffering and um, how Jesus comes into play and how we can seek to just uh, take you know viewpoints of suffering and support people who are going through suffering whether that's you know physical, um, emotional, spiritual. So it's actually not limited to just like disabilities. Um, it's a little bit broader than that, but, uh, so that was very insightful. Uh, and also through that internship, I was a part of a global, um, missions team, which we, as an intern, I traveled to Uganda and spent about a month there working with different, um, local partners and getting to meet, um, the community and actually have conversations with people who have disabilities, which was something I would say is very limited beforehand. Didn't really engage in conversations or trying to learn more about their day to day life and mm. the challenges they experience. But yeah, lot lots out add lot of, there. Uh, global opportunities. <laughs> global opportunities, <laughs> yeah. Pretty unique. But yes, very grateful for those experiences.
0: Um, how have those things changed? Uh, your thoughts now and like what you're currently working through in terms of disability and theology.
1: Um, it's been quite a process and I'm continuously learning just Same. because I completed, <laughs> uh, you know, the beyond suffering curriculum. I'm definitely nowhere near, right. Um, you know, I have not perfected or <laughs> accomplished as much as I wanted to, I'm still learning. But I'd say one uh, thing I'm, Currently, working through is just trying to confront my ableism. It's a term that is relatively new to me. Uh, and so, definitely educating myself through readings, um, even trying to follow people on different social media platforms, um, learning and listening to their perspectives. And more recently, we, in our um, healthcare and a theological context course, <laughs> We had the the chance to read this piece, um, by Maria Palacios, who wrote this poem titled "Naming Ableism," um, and I just want to read a quote from, from her piece, and it, it goes, "Ableism is the way the media portrays us as either objects of pity or inspiration." Uh, that was pretty challenging. Um, kind of had to sit with that because I think my experience, um, just in the church, you know, we. Try to highlight. We do have a disability ministry, and so often when it's um, highlighted in the main service, it's I feel like it's portrayed as you know, here's this population. We should pity them. We need to serve them. They need us. Um, and parts of that are true, but parts of that I um, don't know that I <laughs> fully agree with.
0: And that's something that I also saw a lot when I was growing up. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people like knowing that I was involved with kids on the autism spectrum and Mm. did a lot of work with them. People would be like, Oh, like, can I volunteer with you at such and such? And like, look how great I am for volunteering with this community, but not inviting them to church on Sunday. Like that's, and it wasn't, our space was not accessible and inclusive Mm. for those people or, but like, still looking at them as so inspiring and then also like look at me for all this great stuff that I'm (laughs) this work that I'm doing yeah Yeah, was something that
1: that's really interesting that you highlighted that because something I struggled with when I was doing the internship and I was trying to raise support for the global internship position um, I was getting a lot of comments like you're so brave we're so proud (laughs) of you and I was like, for what? Like, I'm just I have this opportunity. Like, why would I not take it? It's to edge better educate and inform myself. And I felt a lot of guilt because it was like mm. people paint you as or view you as like this hero for doing something that's like basic. I think something all humans right. should is just showing kindness and trying to be, a, you know, right. show dignity, have respect and dignity for all people. And um, yes, that's not that's a really. I'd say ableism is highlighting that. Yeah. Know, not portraying people's heroes for doing basic shows. We're not above We're not above <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So that, her work is really insightful and I think uh, we'll definitely make, we'll be sure to include her piece in the show notes at it's the end. It's very long, so, so we're like, not going to read it here, yes, but you should gonna, read it. We're not going to read it word for word, but we'll definitely encourage you if you have the time to just read through it um, and to kind of, Add on to what we've I've learned through um, my course in healthcare in a theological context. We had the chance to read um, Encountering or a piece of Encountering the Disabled God by Nancy um, Eastland. I'm sorry, keep mixing that up. Uh, And there's a quote I wanted to, to draw from that in which she says: even some of the best denominational statements articulating a theology of access still speak in the voice of the able bodied community advocating for persons with disabilities but not allowing our own voices stories and embodied experiences to be central Mm -hmm. Uh, which again just highlights you know another concept of ableism is only really considering talking about disability but not considering the viewpoints or lived Mm -hmm. experiences experiences of people um, who actually have disabilities and I think kind of just wants it kind of draws me to first Corinthians 12 um, verses 21 through 23 I'm gonna read it for <laughs> for us um, and it says the eye cannot say to the hand I don't need you and the head cannot say to the foot I don't need you no those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are really necessary and the parts of the body we think are less deserving are the parts to which we give the most honor Um and I think I bring this up because I think it's just a reminder of how important um, people with disabilities are to the body of Christ. And until we are really making an effort to include them and seek them out and make them part of the church um, family, the church is incomplete. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just a reminder that we will always have work to do. And kind of, again, drawing back to that stat I threw in at the beginning of that 15% of the world's population have some form of a disability. Um, and so when people say things like, oh, well, you know, our church doesn't, we don't really have have a need to accommodate or have, you know, a disability ministry because there's just, they're not in the church. And, you know, it makes you ask, well, why aren't they in the church? Right. Um, so kind of... If you put the structures in place... the structures yeah. in place and seek them out, you know, there's an action step. Mm-hmm. Um, and... terms
0: of what I'm working on I agree like that ableism is also something that I'm working through and confronting because that's been instilled in me my whole life Mm -hmm. um and I think working with kids with special needs or kids with disabilities is really easy for me because I love working with children and that's what I want to do with my future but um it's important to recognize that like that statistic is not just Children. That's like all people, and we're not including all people with disabilities. Not just like kids. Mm-hmm. um Yeah, and even like Maddie and I both volunteer in a low sensory service at our church. Um, and just last week, I had someone ask me if like the fidgets were oh, because kids can't pay attention in the service, and it's mm. like then I mean the supports that we have available are not just for kids. That for like. Adults with disabilities oh, also Jesus. exist, and that's not something that's, def- that's like, talked about as often. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something that I'm working on, um, as well as like changing my viewpoint on what it means to be the image, bear the image of God. Um, we know Genesis 1, 27 tells us that we were made in God's image, um, and I think that's not something, that's something that I always knew, but didn't really think about what exactly that meant. I think in high school, I had the understanding that it was because of our, our intellectual abilities make us bear the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in a piece by John Kilner, he outlines what it means to be created in God's image um, and how Christ is God's image and we are made to bear god's image um Mm -hmm. and just this section from that piece um stood out to me and it says similarly people with special needs due to disabilities warrant special care and welcome they have an image-based dignity that does not waver regardless of their ability or potential ability christ god's image models god's embrace of disability on the cross and through a resurrected but wounded body all of humans share all of humanity shares in such woundedness and vulnerability in a variety of forms physical, mental, moral, spiritual without losing the dignity of being created in the image of God whoever would treat those with disabilities as God does not view them in terms of their destiny as well as their as well as their dignity in terms of God's intention for them to be a divine reflection as well as their spirit, special connection with God. Their glorious renewal according to God's image in Christ is sure if they are believers and still offered to them if they are not yet. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that's really important to remember um, that Jesus showed us that God embraces disability. Um, yeah, and that we... It is not our abilities that make us bear God's image. We bear God's image regardless of our abilities and yeah. what we can bring to the conversation. Um
1: yeah, the reason, that's <laughs> reminder, like Jesus meets us where we're at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, definitely. And I think um kind of to build this whole concept of ableism, I think one thing that I've noticed, especially since completing uh the Beyond Suffering curriculum is the way that the church looks at healing and the language we use around it. Um, I would mm. t- first and foremost, like we all need spiritual healing, which yeah. is only made possible through salvation through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, cause without Him, we are, we would suffer and mm-hmm. like, continuously suffer in, in this, you know, sense of the spiritual sense. But, um, and just like make, I think for me, what's been helpful in understanding it is like the way that, um, Suffering can be described or categorized as like physical, spiritual, emotional, and just acknowledging that um, we can actually <laughs> have a disability at any point in our in our lives, mm. and um, so just to not kind of get in that mindset of us versus them or right. them or the others, you know, yeah, um, and I think with he- in terms of healing, um, spiritual healing, I I just can imagine how um painful it could be to have someone in the church and i've heard you know from personal conversations of people who have said people have laid hands on them without permission or um recently when i was in uganda we met with a woman who uh, became blind after an operation that went wrong and um she was you know previously a teacher and the her community um And the local partners that we were working with at the time, they had, you know, laid hands on her and said, you know, said things to the extent of, you know, you will be healed and, um, made whole again. And I just, she, she seemed, she received it, it seemed like very fine, but I, from, in my, if I had been her, you know, I would just wonder if that's harmful or discouraging because how, how does that make you feel, um, Like, you're not whole. (laughs) Like, you're not whole now. And it's like she's has salvation, but still something, you know, like something's still off, you know, she Mm -hmm. still needs to be, quote, fixed. And, um, yeah, I would say the the whole concept of the medical model is, like, curing for people and not caring. And um, for us as, you know, students and eventual future practitioners um, to maybe be mindful of not that we're, you know, healing people, but just that we're there to to meet them where they're at mm. and similar to Jesus. <laughs> we're not Jesus, but we're trying to model how he, um, I guess, engaged and interacted with the people that he
0: facilitate this, the occupations yeah. that they want to engage in. Yeah. That's the word. Yes. What we're doing. Um, yeah. And I think that Kilner outlines that the reason that we need to make sure that the church and healthcare are spaces of belonging is that, And the reason that we need to advocate at all is because Mm -hmm. all people matter and all people are made in the image of God. Exactly. um, Both at the personal level and corporately. um, Yeah, and that we need to advocate on both of those levels as well. Mm -hmm. So going back to healthcare and our views of healing, what do you think it means to... um, have that viewpoint of an understanding of Amagadei in our practice and how do we heal knowing that?
1: Uh, I think it kind of goes back to one of the readings we had uh, by Bethany Fox in her book titled uh, Disability in the Way of Jesus. Uh, there's this specific text or chapter where she talks about Jesus healing the man who was born blind, I believe it's John 9 um and to quote her she says bodily social and spiritual transformation are all interconnected in this man's healing encounter with Jesus uh so one thing i kind of took away from that was how Jesus was uh present mm. in that moment he took time you know he he had you know 3 years of his ministry he was kind of go 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 um but like in that he he noticed this man um and you know not only did he address his physical needs but he engaged um, and just observed like his spiritual needs he gave him spiritual healing and um, then also integrated uh, acknowledged his social needs by healing him and and that he was allowed to kind of reintegrate himself into society by having his sight and I think that just kind of a, a reminder or something that we can model in our future work as like healthcare practitioners is Uh, slowing down Mm -hmm. and seeing beyond just the physical need uh, and being able to connect with them and engage with them, whether that's through just kind of active listening or kind of slowing down and feeling like you're truly present uh, with that client. I think that can have a huge impact and just promoting greater like client outcomes. And uh, so I think that's really something to consider and just Mm -hmm. um, be mindful of. It's easy to forget when you're Trying to meet productivity standards and trying to provide, you know, just uh, evidence-based, engaging in evidence-based practice. But at the end of the day, it's about how we're serving uh, our clients and seeing them for more than just their body. You know, they are they're um, created in the image of God, kind of like you we referenced, and yeah, just something to, to carry it into our practice.
0: And I think as OTs, we can specific we're. In- in a good place to do that because occupational therapy emphasizes like becoming and belonging mm-hmm. through doing, um being becoming and belonging through doing. And I think belonging is something that we've talked a lot about right now. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I think occupational therapy also tends to focus on the context that the person is engaging in the occupation in. So I think that we're in a good place to do that and just that was a good reminder to slow down and make sure that you're addressing all of those components of a person and not just physical healing and like focusing on what is physically wrong. Another thing that I think is pretty prevalent in the medical model is the idea of independence and trying to promote as much independence as possible and I think that something that Eastland was challenging and that was something that Eastland was challenging and something that as future occupational therapists, we can challenge because independence isn't necessarily always the goal, but an idea of interdependence, um, is probably a better goal. Um, yeah. And I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier about Imago Day and how your value doesn't come from what you're able to do. Um, but that we should be working together to, Foster interdependence, um, and then occupational therapy also sets us up to not do this from a place of superiority or authority. And I think that other healthcare fields can do that too. But we should really be focusing on power sharing and collaboration with our clients, so that we're not acting like, and to make sure that we're not feeling like we're above them and we're like trying to prescribe something. Um, Yeah, but we're working with them to make sure that we're assessing their needs and their desires, and that also goes back to slowing down and seeing what barriers that they're facing in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and we're seeking to empower them.
1: Right, and I think that idea of like collaborative power sharing and engaging um, the other person you're trying to support, that can be modeled um, outside of the healthcare setting. So whether you're uh, working with people with disabilities um, in the church, you can, wanting to kind of, uh, again, empower them. You can, one way to, I guess, assess how effective that is, is by checking your own attitudes and opinions Mm -hmm. and not seeing them as someone, you know, again, you don't pity them. They're a valuable um, member of the church who has worth. And also just, again, I guess tying it back to ableism, um, educating yourself, And receiving, being open to receiving criticism. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: And I could definitely see myself integrating these viewpoints um, in my future practice as an occupational therapist. Uh, I read an article titled A Critical Approach to Integrating Christian Disability Theology in Clinical Rehabilitation by Dr. Barton. And she outlined how theologies of disability place justice as a prerequisite foundation for human flourishing rather than the final goal. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when we place justice as the end goal, we're we're often not meeting the immediate needs of the people with disabilities that we're in contact with. Um, And going back to Kilner, this idea of justice matters because we do bear God's image and this will help frame my practice because I will think about each individual as a fellow image bearer. Uh, and going back to what you said about first Corinthians 12, making sure that we're valuing each individual member of the body uh, and it helps shift power dynamics again, power sharing. So all of these things connect um, and I'll be able to take them into my practice as an occupational therapist.
1: Yeah. Highlighting some really important OT concepts right there. Uh, and that it's, interesting because uh, I would say one key point I took away from her article, Dr. Barton's article, was the, this idea that we're probably going to feel uncomfortable and feel this tension um, in trying to engage these theologies of disability and how it could potentially shape our clinical practice. Uh, but in the sense that she's arguing um, it shouldn't be perceived as a negative thing. We almost have to embrace it, um, and I'm gonna quote part of her work. when she kind of states, "Clinicians must struggle with questions and realities of entering into communities where belonging and comfort seem far off, and seek new ways to embrace relational collaboration." Uh, I just really appreciated the advice, the practical advice mm-hmm. she presented in the article, because sometimes really easy to look at or think of this concept of you know the um, disability theology and then clinical practice. How, how do we uh, merge these two ideas? Right. Um, so th- I thought that was a really useful piece of advice. And I probably will be integrating that into my yeah. future practice.
0: And I think as students, um, it's easy to like say, we'll do all of these big things. Um, but then in practice, we don't really know
1: mm-hmm.
0: what to expect. So I did like those practical pieces of advice. hmm And I just want to reiterate that we are two temporarily able-bodied, privileged women um, who are going into a field that really values the context that a person is coming from um, and values power sharing. So we understand that ideally we would be having these conversations with someone with disabilities, but thank you for listening to us anyway. (laughs) Um, And if you need to hear, if you want to hear any more...
1: Yeah, we're going to be able to, in the show notes, I'll make sure to reference uh, some of the sources we've touched on in the podcast, and then I'm also going to make sure to include the link to johnnyandfriends.org. Again, they're a disability ministry that uh, offers physical, spiritual, and emotional support to individuals impacted by disability, uh, and also providing, they provide um, some really great resources for churches and just people looking to get involved with the disability community
0: thank you so much for listening
1: thank you